Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to a man who loves golf, but saw something wrong with it and did his best to fix the problem. He is now in his fifth decade of bringing a relaxed attitude to the golf course, and he looks great doing it. I'm pleased to be joined by the legendary John Ashworth here on The Range. John, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ralph. Let's start at the very beginning. When did golf enter into your life? It goes back in my family history. My, you know, my grandparents were both really good golfers, uh, single digits actually back in the twenties, thirties and that kind of thing. And then my father, of course, he was a golfer and, uh, he was a school teacher. My mom was a nurse. So when I was growing up, I would say it was late sixties, probably 68. I was about eight years old and my mother uh, was trying to get us all go to go to church, uh, which is my four sisters and my brother and myself. And I was down the rank. I was number five out of six kids. And uh, as an eight-year-old, I wanted to be outside playing, and I did not really dig going to church. So, I, you know, it lasted one Sunday school session, and I complained so heartily that my mother and father gave me a choice that I could either go caddy for my father on Sunday mornings in his regular foursome or go to Sunday school. <laughs> so that's how I got introduced to golf. It was actually, it was literally my religion uh, or at least a choice uh, of, of religions. And I, and I chose golf. You spent your Sundays worshiping just in a different venue. Exactly. And you played and competed. I mean, you were a competitive player growing up, uh, going to Arizona on a golf scholarship, yeah. but What's interesting is you earned a degree there in agronomy. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, I kind of got there thinking I was a hot shot, and then I quickly learned that I was just, you know, uh, a very small fish in a, in, in a very big ocean. So I uh, I wanted to be around golf, and, and I chose the degree of agronomy, which was turf grass management, thinking I might get into that field of either golf course design or, you know, or – be a superintendent somewhere or that kind of thing so that's what sort of turned me into uh into that part of the education is to uh is to go down that track there are parallels that show up in your life and the first one that i noticed when i was doing a little research was well you started playing golf as a caddy and then you essentially started your career in golf as a caddy yeah yeah <laughs> i've caddied my whole life really different you know i I grew up on the weekends caddying at La Costa, you know, which is literally, I grew up in Escondido, La Costa was about 20 minutes away. So we'd go over there on the weekends and go into the caddy yard. You know, I was 15 and, and, uh, quite an education to say the least. Uh, you know, it was a ragtag bunch of ex Marines and it wasn't like back East. They have the, you know, 
the kids program. I was probably the only kid, to be honest with you. It was, it was, uh, it was really a motley crew, but they were, it was fun to hang out with. I really got a, uh, the education, you know, uh, in, 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 you know, not in school for sure. They had to teach you the ins and outs. Otherwise they wouldn't have been able to survive there. And, yeah. and when you're working with that type of you know crew, they're, they're going to make sure that you're not, uh, bringing them down. Yeah, no, no doubt. And it was, it was in the, that, that would have been in the, you know, more the mid seventies and, and, you know, it was, uh, it was run by the teamsters, a lot of, you know, mafia types running around and, and they had big tournaments and stuff. It was, it was. It was a blast, really was. A little bit different when you started caddying professionally, though. Yeah, and then my buddy Mark Wiebe, who I grew up with, he, you know, I got out of college and I really couldn't find my way anywhere. I didn't really, I did a few different things. I was, you know, assistant golf pro at a a golf course. That didn't really work out. I uh, sold insurance for a little bit and... uh, but Mark, Mark, my buddy, uh, who I grew up with playing golf, he he was he was good enough to be on the tour, and uh, he said, "Hey, why don't you come caddy for me, and uh, see if I can't get my tour card?" He had already tried like I think five or six times and barely missed it. And I was at a point in my life I was like, "God, that sounds like a blast. Let's do that." He he could pay me enough to survive, and and you know, off we went. Uh, you know, did the, you know, the sectionals, the regionals, and then the, the, the finals at TPC Sawgrass and got his card. So off, you know, off we went on the tour for a year and I only wanted to do it for a year. I didn't really want to be, you know, a lifetime caddy at that point in my life. So I committed for that. And, uh, you know, it was like being with the circus, you know, you get a new town every week and, you know, everybody wanted to be around and it was, it was, it's, it's really a blast. When you, when that year came up, when, when you're ready to move on in your career, because of the connections that you'd made, you had avenues that you could pursue. I certainly did. And I was very lucky because his sponsor, uh, was a guy named Jerry Montiel and Jerry and I became friends over that year. Like he'd pop into town, watch the tournament. We'd go out to dinners and, you know, we just got to know each other. And, um, he was an entrepreneurial type of guy and, he was starting a new business in Denver and, uh, and him and his partner ended up hiring me as their first employee to be like a, a man, a store manager for a sporting goods store and a buyer. So I got to, you know, I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't have any experience in that, but you know, I, I ended up learning a lot in those two years that I worked for him, uh, you know, in that spot, in that position. We go back to your time when you talk about, say, caddying at LaCosta or playing at Arizona. You had developed some theories, some thoughts, some beliefs about apparel, especially at that time of of fashion in the 70s. And you wanted something different. Yeah, it was was a tricky time. You know, golf was uh, really not, didn't have the best, you know, uh, view from non-golfers. It was really the fashion was sort of stuck, uh, you know, kind of after the fifties where it was really classic and kind of timeless black and white, you know, kind of went with black and white photography but the clothes didn't have, they had color, but they were, they were more timeless looking like you think Ben Hogan and that kind of thing. Right. So mm-hmm. here we come with the seven, you know, the sixties and, you know, technicolor and color TV and, you know, and then kind of the invention of polyester went hand in hand. So you could do these, 
crazy, you know, bright colors and and it was great for, you know, for a certain period of time, but it just kind of just went on and on and you know, and the 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 fabrics weren't that comfortable at all. Right. Uh it was it was early on polyester and uh you know, and the and the shapes were rather, you know, weird bell-bottom pants, uh <laughs> big plaids, you know, big white belts and you know, collars, big hard collars that were really long and pointy and like obnoxious color combinations. And I don't know, I had to, I, I, I got to a point where I really didn't feel comfortable. Like, like how could you wear that type of clothes out into general public? You know, I mean, so, right. So I really, you know, and then our golf uniforms in college, this was like late seventies, early eighties. I graduated in 82. I'm imagining bright red pants. Yeah. Bright red pants. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, it was, yeah, you know, and this, and just wasn't comfortable and the fits weren't comfortable. And, and anyway, that did unbeknownst to me, I had no idea I was going to get into clothing at that point in time, but you know, I was always conscious of what I wore and I was always, you know, very, uh, kind of a stickler for, for how I dressed and, and, uh, wanted to look cool. And, but you know, I'm a, I'm a West coast guy influenced by the surf culture. I think more or less growing up, uh, I always, played golf in clothes that weren't really considered golf clothes uh, if I was just on my own, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I took that with me, that whole experience. And then when I caddied on the tour, I could, I kind of saw what everybody's wearing. Everybody was still stuck in that, you know, nobody was pushing it forward, like no companies. It was back, you know, back at that time, it was a real cottage industry in terms of like, you know, not many there weren't any big companies. It was more small companies right? that service that market. And, uh, and so when I was with Jerry doing the store, I got to see all the, I I was the buyer for the golf stuff. So I got to see all the, I went to the shows. I got to see everything Mm -hmm. uh, firsthand and how they, how they operated, how they presented stuff. And, and so when, but Jerry was having trouble at that time, the economy wasn't very good and he wanted to close down the stores. And he asked me, Hey, if you stay on and help me close down these two stores, we'll figure out another business to get into. So I said, okay, you know, so even at that point in time, I didn't really know, you know, what I thought we should do next. Uh, we actually looked at a driving range, uh, of all things, but driving down the freeway one day, I, I finally, I'd been thinking about it now for a while. And I finally blurted out, Hey, you know, I really think golf clothes suck. I think we could do our own, our own brand and we could make it look cool and we could give it a good vibe and we could really promote, you know, the essence of golf and, and, you know, uh, and, and come at it from a completely different angle. And I think if we do that, I think we should get a couple ambassadors. And I think the perfect people to to do that would be Fred Couples and John Cook. So that was kind of the, just the kernel, the seed of the idea. And he kind of looked at me and he was, he was, he was not really a golfer. He played a little bit of golf, but he, you know, he wasn't really, but he was a businessman and he kind of, the light bulb went off. He said, shit, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So so kind of off you went. Yeah, and it, off you went, but you had to learn about design, production, yeah. 
the merchandising you had some experience with, but I mean, really, you had to learn all this on your own, on the fly. Yeah, yeah. Tightrope with no net. <laughs> I know, and for some reason, I think it's ignorance is bliss, you know? Um, and, I, you know, at, at that time in my life, I was like, yeah, shit, we can do this, you know? So, but, you know, it's, I had no idea what we were getting into, and uh, I ended up moving to L.A., uh, I figured I could either go to LA and LA or New York because I figured the majority of the garment industry were in those two spots. So I moved to LA because I was SoCal guy, and you know we got an office right downtown LA and went to the garment district. And there's luckily there was a there was a big mart there, the Cal Mart, where you could go look at different fabrics and you know and just kind of I just kind of ferreted my way through trying to i asked the most ridiculous questions of so many people just trying to learn and mm -hmm. you know soak it all up and try to figure out how do we really do this yeah how do we get how do we get an idea to market um and uh you know it was the school of hard knocks for sure i mean i you know uh but luckily it's not you know rocket science it's not computer science it's not medicine it's you know making a making a shirt making a pant whatever so um figured it out and you know god a lot of lot of long nights a lot of you know long days long nights and uh but you know luckily was pretty good at hiring good people and all along the way it seemed like when we needed someone or something we would somehow get the right person and and make the right move and um you know the timing was pretty good to say the least uh on a lot of things and uh I, there was a few bumps and there was a couple of times where i thought oh god this isn't gonna work jesus what are we gonna do next and then all of a sudden you know turned around and we were you know we went from you know, zero to 90 million in, you know, in revenue in 10 years, which, you know, for not knowing what you're doing, that was pretty good. <laughs> when you first introduced the line to players, what was their response? You know, and it, it was, uh, it was surprisingly really positive, even though, you know, I look back on some of the stuff we did and I just shake my head, you know, like, Oh my God, it wasn't very good, but it was good enough, I guess. I mean, it was different uh the fabrics were typically really good um but uh but i think they really liked it fred really fred really liked it uh so john cook um you know i always struggled a little bit with fred because he he always wanted to wear things bigger than what i was hoping he would want to wear them you know so you know we we did get a little oversized uh and it seemed to stick and uh, all the companies started copying us so mm -hmm. i know you look back at the old photos and everybody's wearing these huge blousey shirts and stuff and you know and it, it was just that it was just that phase in time and and uh you know thank god fits now are pretty good and and um uh, but at that time it was really weird because he was like between he was like an actual large but he wore an extra large you know, because he really, you know, he was always doing this kind of thing. And, you know, right. he just liked it all loosey goosey. And, you know, and that's that, that's what he was comfortable with. So, I mean, you're not going to tell Fred Couples, hey, you can't do that, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of went on like that. And um, so, 
but it was a you know i look back on it now and i just i feel like i'm dreaming like did that really happen you know i mean you know ernie ells and dave stockton and you know all these great people and players and and uh and we sort of reinvented uh how things were done and you know what the vibe was and what the look was and all that stuff so it was really it was really a great run you know i i have fond memories and good times that was the late 80s that you introduced the ashworth line yeah get into the 90s and you travel to scotland how did that affect your view on the game of golf yeah i mean i thought i had a pretty holistic view to that point anyway but then when i went to scotland it was sort of like you know i mean i just sort of like blew my mind a little bit it was how i always felt golf should be and now i saw it firsthand in you know at the home of golf and and uh uh, and how the culture was in these little seaside villages. I ended up, I ended up going over there and living there for a couple of years. Uh, I had a, in 1997, I ended up leaving Ashworth. Um, uh, unfortunately, um, we, you know, we were a public company and there's a lot of pressures on, on being a public company. Mm-hmm. You have big board of directors and shareholders and all that stuff. And, you know, at this point, I'm fairly, I'm kind of burnt out a little bit and, you know, uh, just went real hard for 10 years. And uh, uh, and we brought in a guy, Jerry had kind of exited. So now I, they hired a guy to be the president that kind of um, him and I just really disagreed like a lot on a lot of things and it had become corporate. I mean, yeah, that's well, not what you had guess, entered into. I guess corporate, and then you know, but but you know, he wanted to, he wanted to make things cheaper, quality wise, mm-hmm. and he wanted to do things that you know, culturally and and uh, I guess artistically, that was just so different from where we had been and what I felt. So. I finally woke up one day and said, you know, I'm, you know, after about a month of struggling with it, I said, you know, this, I'm not enjoying my life. This is no fun. I just, we just did this great thing and now it's, it's a drag. So, so I ended, I resigned and, and, and I had this opportunity in Scotland. Uh, and I, so I ended up, I had already started going over there, you know, every year since probably 91. And uh, this was 97. So I had this opportunity to work on this project to bring these old or these forgotten links courses that had disappeared uh, back to life. And, uh, and I just got enamored with the idea and, and the process. So I did end up moving over there. I love it over there. It's, it's, you know, it's just golf at the purest form. I mean, these little villages where everybody plays and, at that point in time, there was really, you never saw a golf cart. So it was like such a quiet, peaceful landscape. Uh-huh. You, know, you drive through Gullen, you drive right through the middle of town. There's golf on both sides of the main road. And you just see people out walking, you know, up on the hill and <laughs> in the distance. And, you know, it's just part of the, it's just part of this. It feels like you're in a painting, you know, and it's right on the Firth of Forth. So these beautiful views of across to, you know, from the East Lothian side over to the Fife side. And, and it's just amazing, really. Um, so that was uh, that was a great couple of years. 
Well, it inspired your next venture, Fidra Golf. Yes, that's where that did come out of. So I, uh, yeah, I came back and uh, I thought, well, I've got two young sons and uh, a wife and a house and a cup and a dog. And I thought, well, I'm probably going to run out of money here in a few years. So I better get back to work. <laughs> no, but I always, I loved what uh, I loved, you know, what I did before. So I thought, you know, I was friends with Bob McKnight at uh, Quicksilver and I knew that they wanted to grow by incubating new brands. So I sort of pitched the idea of doing a, you know, I had a two year non-compete anyway, so that was over. So I kind of pitched him and, and I actually did try to go back to Ashworth, but the guy that I was not getting along with, he was still there and he didn't have any interest. So I, I knocked on Bob McKnight's door and said, Hey, you know, what do you think about doing, you know, a, a lifestyle line around golf for, for the Quicksilver company? Mm-hmm. And he loved the idea. So again, we kind of started from scratch and, and we, um, we launched our first, you know, season, uh, and it was supposed to launch fall of uh, 2000. It was right at 9-11. Right. So the world imploded for about a year. I don't know if you remember that or not, but it was really, uh-huh. it was a really difficult time. Uh, you know, so from a business point of view, especially a brand new startup and but we made it through it and we scratched and clawed and we, 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 we got some traction. And then um, about three years later, Quicksilver ended up, they were a billion dollar company. And so we were this tiny little company, you know, a tiny little brand in their company. And, but they bought Rossignol Ski Company, which owned Cleveland Golf. So at first blush, you think, oh, that's a that's going to be great. You know, Cleveland was kind of cool at the time and stuff. And but the guy that was running Cleveland at the time, uh, Greg Hopkins, um, you know, he didn't he, he he didn't want anybody in his kitchen. It was pretty obvious. And uh, so because they put us together, right? And he, I don't know, he felt threatened by me or whatever. But uh, he made life difficult. And so again, I ended up. Say la vie. I ended up splitting again. So back to the drawing board, as they say. Well, and ultimately that drawing board would lead you to create Linksoul. It would with a with a slight diversion. The slight diversion was I, you know, about I don't know a year late, a year after I left Fidra, I was just kind of playing Mr. Mom, and um, and I got a call from the from the chairman of the board of Ashworth now, and uh, and so they had finally. Uh, they finally decided to get rid of the guy that I was button heads with way back when. And they asked if I'd come back and help out and see what, you know, they were kind of going sideways. And um, so I was like, sure, I would love to do that. So I went back there and kind of looked under the hood and did a big sort of analysis. And they were pretty upside down at this point. This was like 2007 to, mm-hmm. and, um, they they had a lot of things going kind of sideways and um, they ended up wanting to sell the company anyway. And I was actually looking at trying to buy it back with some investors, but I felt that they were asking, they wanted way too much for what it was worth, you know? And um, 
So I decided not to do that. But so they, in the, at the end, though, they ended up selling it to Adidas, uh, TaylorMade. And I actually worked as a consultant for them for about a year. Uh, and uh, but then that was again, like you said, it's a, it's a bit corporate for for my for my liking. And uh, right. Uh, and I had been working, kind of formulating the Link Soul idea, and I knew it wouldn't fit in there in their realm of things. So my nephew, Jeff Cunningham and I, who actually we worked together on FIDRA, you know, we kind of decided to, Hey, you know what, let's give Link Soul a go. I mean, we both feel passionate about what it stands for and, and how we could take our experiences and, 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 um, put them into a brand that is more about a philosophy than it is, about anything else uh but let's make some really great clothing and uh, and um mm -hmm. and stand for something you know and and get behind a certain way of life uh that extends way beyond golf but golf is a central you know pillar of it's a pillar of our life and it's a pillar of a lot of people's lives but uh there there are uh it's it's nice to have that anchor and that and that core into something that is so good. I mean, look what has happened through the pandemic. I mean, golf shines through. I mean, you know, nobody nobody knew what was going to happen, and all of a sudden, golf is sort of this beacon of hope. Because I think it's because there's so much good in, you know, in in it. So, um, so anyway, yeah, we we've we've now, I suppose uh link souls you know to the public it's probably about seven or eight years old but we've been we've been sort of playing around with the idea for i don't know it's actually an evolution of the last 35 years really or last 50 years for me it's interesting to me because when you came out with the ashworth line it was about bringing a softer hand a classic field of golf with link soul Having lived in San Diego County, I felt like what you were able to do was create a, a line of apparel that had that vibe, that just had that San Diego feel to it, mm. which is very community driven. I, I think that's something that's really central to San Diego is, is it's about community. The interesting thing is, is if you look at the brand, if you look at how you put together your marketing and such. You also see, you see that side, the surf side and everything, but you also see that Scottish feel, that classic, 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 we're not talking 50s, we're talking 100 years ago, feel of golf as a central core to everything. Mm, yeah, I'm glad that comes through because that's definitely how we feel about it. Again, if people haven't been in San Diego and, and seen it, it, it's it's a different thing and was it enjoyable combining those cultures, the old classic Scottish side and the cool San Diego vibe? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. It's uh it's nice to be able to sort of bring it all together, you know, it really is. The apparel is not the only thing you're about though. And it's funny because you, you've come up with another mission and that was really in a bigger scale, saving golf in your area because it was disappearing. Yeah. 
Yeah, no. Um, yeah, Goat Hill Park is this. It kind of came out of the blue, to be honest. We had already we had started Link Soul, and uh, I I actually live in Carlsbad, but Link Soul's in Oceanside. So um, when I was a member at, at La Costa, I live right by La Costa, and uh, but I never I didn't really go there that much. It doesn't have a ton of you know vibe to it it's more of a destination resort it's mm-hmm. hard to get in and out of and the course went through a lot of different a lot of different things and uh anyway i started playing once we started link so i started playing goat hill almost more than way more than la costa so i mean and it was never in very good shape. it was in terrible shape but it was a great routing uh it was it was fun you know the greens were usually pretty good uh but uh you know it was like go out and play nine holes for 15 bucks or whatever so i'd go with the guys link soul because they you know they didn't belong to a club and you know my nephew we'd play a lot and uh uh and then they had always you know it's been around since 1952 goat hill park it's not you know i played it as a kid in high school it was actually a nine hole regulation nine hole course back mm-hmm. in the seventies when we played it junior golf in high school. And then, and then now I come back now and it's an 18 hole short course. They've rerouted the course uh, from nine holes to 18 holes from par 36 to now it's par 66. And uh, anyway, you know, and, and they talked about developing it because you know, it's a beautiful piece of property. You, you we played, Ralph. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. mean, seventy-five acres with an ocean view, and you know, trees, and there's no, there's only houses on one road. And anyway, so there was. We never thought that they would develop anything there because it was protected by a municipality that says if it's ever changed, it needs to be to go to the vote of the people. And so that is very, you know, conducive to not getting developed because people will usually vote down anything that's going to take over a green space. But with the drought happening in 2000, you know, eight, 2009, with there was kind of a downturn in golf and everybody was complaining about golf. And like you said, I mean, San Luis Rey closed, uh, Escondido Country Club, you know, there's like a handful of courses that were closing. So the city owned the property and they they had a management group taking care of it. But they were like going, hey, here we have this huge community asset. It's making no revenue. Let's 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 turn it into a revenue generator. So, you know, you can hear you can see them doing that. So right. And and though they put out an RFP to, to, to developers and there was like four big time developers that came in to, uh, to put in a plan, whether it was a mixed use of condos and strip malls and whatever, it was going to be concrete basically. So, so Jeff Cunningham, my partner and I, and my nephew, he's my nephew and my partner, but we, 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 we were playing, we said, you know what? we just started link soul and kind of that's what we stand for, you know? So we were like, how can we sit by, we can't sit, we can't sit by and not at least put a plan in. So we thought it was a super long shot. So we put this very simple plan. We're going to fix it up. We're going to put, have it be the home of the North County junior golf. 
We're going to put in a little kids course and kids can play for free. We're going to fix up the clubhouse, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. So we put our plan in and, and, uh, the whole community gets behind. We do the Save Goat Hill thing. We get a bunch of celebrities put on Save Goat Hill t-shirts, Bill Murray and Mark Wahlberg and, you know, a bunch of tour players, Adam Scott, Charlie Hoffman, Ernie L, you know. And um, and sure enough, we end up getting, you know, we getting we got chose by the by the city council to to you know have a shot to take it over and Mm -hmm. but we got to put in 3.6 million and improvements and you know we have two years to do that and uh and so i'm thinking oh my god you know we just started link soul i'm thinking what the hell are how are we going to do this you know this isn't this is where i i i mentioned the things in your life that come back yeah from your degree in agronomy from your work in Scotland, yeah. from your decision to go with Ashworth and do something that you've never done, but but figure out how to do it, all that combined into this one project. Yeah, it all kind of, it definitely all helped. And then the biggest thing is we've got this, we got, I mean, but I did not have $3.6 million for in two years. <laughs> that, that part doesn't come through <laughs> education or experience, no. But... I'm telling you, there's some divine intervention happening because I don't know if you remember. I don't know if we talked about this or not, but um, at the time there was a there was a, the water the the water district of California had a two dollars a square foot rebate if you took out irrigated turf. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, you say there was a big deal with yeah. golf courses that yeah. were taking out the turf yeah. and and, so, and zero escaping it or something along those right. lines. So we are the funny thing about our thing is we didn't have any grass because you know they quit watering and it was all dead and the irrigation system was sucked and anyway so we i ended up putting this you know uh you know this thing together for 27.3 acres which comes to about 2.3 million dollars in rebates Mm -hmm. and we were approved so i i put in this you know application and we got approved and so we were able to we were able to fix the irrigation. We put a brand new irrigation system in a main line and a and a line for reclaimed water. We uh, we made a bunch of little improvements to the property. Uh, so we were able to put that two point three million dollars into the property. Plus, we you know I put some more money into the property. We were able to get to that threshold of uh, three point six million and uh, and fix it up. You know, but it still was, you know, I mean, it's been almost, it's been six and a half years now, and we've been constantly fixing that place up, which has been a lot of fun. I mean, I've enjoyed every bit of it, but, uh, but the funny thing about it is every year we, we, it gets better and every year we get more play and, and, you know, we just want to make it enjoyable and we, it's a place to showcase, I think, what golf can be, mm-hmm. you know, in a community setting. Like you say, to me, I love recreational golf. I love social golf. Uh, it's a place for people to get away from the craziness of the world and unwind and, and get some fresh air and get some exercise and uh, and hang out with their buddies. I mean, it's simple as that. So, uh yeah, it's it's been a it's been an amazing experience, and uh, 
it's funny we have uh we have a couple simple simple guidelines i guess is uh you know we don't have a dress code we play music around the clubhouse we allow people to bring their dogs if they want to mm-hmm. as long as they mind their dogs and keep them you know <laughs> you know in check uh but other than that, and you know, as long as you respect each other and respect the golf course, it's uh, it's a nice place to hang. As you said, I've been fortunate enough to join you there, and I have to tell you that I loved how every step of it you were showing it off. This is this is your baby. This is your pride and joy, and, and that's what's awesome is all the career that you've had this little golf course really brings the life out of you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I say to my, you know, my wife was, so, you know, we did this whole save goat Hill thing, but it was really goat Hill saved me. You know, So I, you know, I look at it that way. Carlsbad's loaded with big brand golf manufacturers, corporate golf, like we discussed, yep. but a lot of the people inside those companies are golf purists. I mean that, that they love the game. That's why they work in it. And it seems like when they come out to play at the GOAT, they get to let that side of them out. So it becomes a communal place, not just for the local community, but for the golf industry. Those people know that this is a place where they can go and let down the corporate side and just enjoy the game, which ultimately I think fuels the industry as a whole, even on the corporate side. Yeah, I you know I say we're the Switzerland of the golf industry. It's like <laughs> typically they don't, they don't hang out together, but when they get to the goat, they you know you see a guy from Titleist playing with a guy from TaylorMade or Callaway or whatever, so they they feel comfortable sort of blending together and and you know and kind of dropping yeah dropping their hair down and enjoying it. Beyond seeing you and how you enjoyed the course, that was the second thing that really struck me was seeing these people that were like, no, I, I'm working on this project, working on that project. But when we come here, we just put on a T-shirt and go play. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we always wrap up our talks here on the range by jumping into the Wayback Machine and looking at your lifelong golf bag. Mm-hmm. So is there one club that when it comes to mind brings you warm and nostalgic feelings? The best club you ever owned. <laughs> yeah, it's not my bag anymore, but the one club I guess comes to mind immediately is this putter that I had that, that I putted with for like over 20 years at the, you know, when I was really, you know, playing competitive golf. Um, was an 8813, uh, Wilson 8813. And I was, do you remember Johnny Jacobs at all? Mm-hmm. Do you remember Tom, Tommy Jacobs was, you know, a tour guy and back in the, 50s and 60s he almost won the masters anyway he he was the he was the director of golf at la costa so when i worked at, I, I worked at la costa in the cart barn and johnny who he was a bigger than life character hit it a mile he won a few times on the champions tour he was he's a great guy but he was kind of like a party animal and you know he had that thing so anyway johnny character beyond belief we used to have putting contests. There was a big putting green by the starter shack and he'd hang out there all the time. You know, he never had a job, but he'd play pro golf and he'd come back and hang out there. So we, uh, we used to putt and, and, and he, this was his putter and, and I just fell in love with it. I go, Oh my God. 
can I, can I use this putter? And he said, I'll tell you what, kid, you can use that putter, but the minute you quit using that putter, you got to give it back to me. <laughs> you know? So, so I used it for like 25 years <laughs> and I still have it. So that's, that's my club. Let's say it's amazing. You know, it could be, these great clubs and this is why i asked the question they can come from anywhere it could be something modern and cool it could be something that's just classic and just fits you and in your game thank you for taking the time to join us you've been a welcoming presence in the game you rolled out the red carpet to me at goat hill and you foster brands in a lifestyle that not only offers a warm embrace to new players but basically anybody who wants to enjoy the game on their own terms and it, it shouldn't be that unusual but it is and so i appreciate that and i appreciate you joining us here on the range all right thanks ralph come see us again huh absolutely absolutely all right have a nice day that was john ashworth the co-founder of link soul and wow so much there uh golf life well lived and with so much more to come he has made a tiny little municipal course in North San Diego County into a destination. How? By making it open, welcoming. And simply put, he made it fun. If you go to Goat Hill looking to play serious golf, it may just kick your teeth in. If you go to just enjoy a great time strolling up and down on the fairway, it might change you. I find poetry in that. And if you look closely, you can see those same elements in everything he's done through his career really really enjoyed that talk before we go a new year means new gear as companies release their latest lines of products for the coming season that means new clubs with the latest technological advances new generations of golf balls bags carts apparel and footwear some new releases are just cosmetic changes maybe a change in fashion while others are truly transformative equipment does evolve but from one year to the next maybe less of a jump than you might realize and with the new products arriving well that means the older models are going on sale after all why were pro v1s and tp5 balls on sale for christmas because new models are headed for the stores and to customers they're ready to be released to the public at any time but one area where it's almost always best to get the latest is footwear after all, a shoe with a one or two year waterproof guarantee likely will not be too protective for you in a year's time if it was released in 2019. So what may seem like a good deal will usually not live up to the promise. So as always, drop us a line with any equipment questions you may have. And of course, if you want to know more about golf equipment, subscribe to us on YouTube at The Golf Spotlight. The new releases are coming and we'll be talking to the men and women behind the innovations. Follow us on Instagram at The Golf Spotlight. We're also on Twitter at Golf Spotlight. Anywhere you leave us a comment, we are happy to hear them and we do our best to reply to every single one of them. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. Any place you find a podcast, you'll find The Range. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. Now that'll do it for this episode of The Range, so loosen up and relax. Tee it up and soak in the greatness that is golf. And we'll talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.